So it's a great pleasure today uh, for me to welcome Jimmy Haygood as our speaker. I've known Jimmy for a long time. We were classmates at Porter Gowd back in the day. Uh, Jimmy has had a remarkable uh, life and career starting in the uh, student department going to Sewanee, which we seem to have a good crew of Sewanee folks here today, uh, but then working in the financial services industry and then making a huge jump uh, to follow his passion for uh, southern food and especially barbecue. And uh, I would encourage you sometime to go to Jimmy's website and look at the list of awards that this man has won. It is absolutely incredible, um, even up to the summit of cooking for the James Beard Foundation in New York City. Uh, he's been featured in the New York Times on the Today Show um, and Garden and Gun, everything you can think of. Uh, in addition to that, Jimmy has been a lifelong member of St. Philip's Church. He's been on the vestry. He's worked with missions here. Uh, he has four wonderful children and a wonderful wife, and uh, we are just delighted to have him come and share a little bit of what the Lord has done in his life with us today. So please join me in welcoming Jimmy Haygood. Actually, I'm Maybank Haygood, and I want to just talk about my brother Jimmy right now. <laughs> There's so many times we get mixed up, and it's always been to my advantage. <laughs> so, um, and to talk about my family. My brother Ben is here, and my brother Robert. Maybank's like six years younger, so I've always, if we get mixed up, then that's, you know, like I say, that's good for me. Ben, I'm the oldest, but I act the youngest. So, uh, my brother Robert was in first grade when I was a senior in high school, and so was my wife Anne Marie. So, that was, you know, <laughs> to my advantage also. Um, Brian, I appreciate you inviting me to, uh, to speak today. And as I look back on those who have spoken before, there's kind of two streams. I kind of fit in the rogues gallery side of things. And then there are the sanctified sinners. So I appreciate this opportunity very much. And as you mentioned... We went to Portugal together back in the 70s. And there's one word that really um, is the adjective that's used for students, it seemed like, in the 70s. And it's not, a, it's not a good thing, but it's apathy. And that was, that was a cloud that encircled me uh, during that time period. And... And it did, and it kind of shaped my life, so to speak. Um, I've always looked at uh, Charleston as being a wonderful place to grow up, and the sense of place here, from not only being on the peninsula, but being out in the country, being on, on the water. These, and really what we're talking about is like utilizing your five senses. These are the things that shape and mold 
molds you when, when you grow up here. And, um, but one of the things that uh, I sensed somewhat early on was that, and I found it in the Psalm 107, verses 4 and 5, that some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Now that sounds pretty negative, doesn't it? But sometimes you have to go through that to see what's at the other end. And I did wander from place to place. I wandered in, through different jobs in other cities. And uh, I didn't necessarily know where I was going to settle. And I wandered in relationships. And I was a seeker. So being here in Charleston and in the Low Country was a very positive thing. Being a member of St. Philip's, you know, having been baptized here and gone through Canon Cobb's confirmation class, um, being involved in uh, sports and looking at people, of, you know, friendships that go back so many years. But there was one point in time, and, and one of the things I told Brian, I said, you know, when you ask me to do this, you start looking back on your life. You, that's, that's kind of what you're doing. You're reflecting. And I did, and I, this is something I never told anybody because I guess I was a little bit ashamed to talk about it, but, and it's not that big a deal. But I, um, I remember as like a first or second or third grader, one day, uh, looking in the mirror. I call it the boy in the mirror. Now, there was a book later on written about the man in the mirror, but this is the boy in the mirror. And I looked in that mirror, and I saw somebody that was better than everybody else. I really did. I saw somebody who was, uh, you know, better looking. I saw somebody that uh, lived in downtown Charleston. I saw somebody who... Uh, Went to East Bay Playground, and we played against Moultrie, okay? It was the Protestants versus the Catholics. We were good guys. Um, and, but also saw myself on the outside looking in, uh, particularly with my family. I was the oldest, but I felt like, you know, I wanted to seek I wanted to go elsewhere. I wanted to do other things. So I felt like I was on the outside looking in. And this is just me. That, it was just me. So really, my, we, all, we all have something. My affliction is and was pride. And it, it is something that, uh, you know, we read and talk and hear about, and it's certainly in Scripture as probably the number one sin that we humans have, and I just happen to be born with that. Um, so I'm going to just read a couple of things here, So when, just because I want to get it right. 
When self is at the center, then the heart takes over. And the mind is governed governed by the feelings. The heart is a powerful factor in human thinking. When the heart, the emotions and feelings get a hold of us and control our thinking, then we discover that we're helpless to reason properly. And when you combine that with the cultural mores of the 70s, it's a recipe for a complete downward spiral. But as we will see later, when certain life events stop us in our tracks, then the head and the will, along with the heart, can transform themselves with Christ taking over. So one great summer, 1971, I went on a trip to the South Pacific with Major Richardson at, from Port of God School, and it was 15 boys that went along with his wife and Ned Jaycox who was my roommate. I was the oldest of that group. I had a paper route and I just, you know, wanted to go on that trip. My grandfather told me, he said, Jimmy, you can, we'd love to help you, but you need to raise half the money. And I said, all right, I can do that. So it took me an extra year because mostly the boys that went were in the seventh and eighth grade. So I was, I just finished the ninth grade. Anyway, in that trip, going for two months uh, through the Pacific, and seeing all these different cultures uh, not only gave me an uh, opportunity to see what the world was like, but also to see, hey, and again, it kind of fostered this uh, feeling that I always had was, hey, I'm better than everybody else, okay? And it got to a point where uh, that 10th grade year after coming back, one day I walked in the house and my Mom and dad were there, and it was like 5.30 or something, and they said, all right, there's somebody here that wants to meet you. And so we went into the formal living room and sat down. And across from me was the um, assistant minister at St. Philip's here, Ralph Bird, who ran the um, youth program, the EYC program. And he had been here for a fairly short period of time and was trying to build that. And I don't know. They, they were at their, they were at their uh, wit's end, so they figured they'd bring the preacher in there and see what they could do. <laughs> but Ralph and I became very, very close. And we had, you know, EYC programs right here. Uh, this was before this building was uh, fixed up, but it was, you know, downstairs and you know, coming here on Sunday evenings was a great time, and we had over 150 kids every Sunday. It was a it was a big it was a big program, and we went to St. Christopher, and we did a lot of things there. And um, I just remembered at that point in time that was a touchstone for me to draw closer to God. And I had you know again reciting prayers and being in church and this and that, I had never really had uh, an encounter with God. And so that was, that was an important time of my life in high school that was separate from just the, you know, going to school every day and playing sports. 
But even after that, I did not know Jesus as my Savior. But that comes later. Um, going through college at Sewanee. Well, I went to Tulane for my first two years. And I like to say, if I hadn't transferred to Sewanee, I'd still be on that park bench. <laughs> and so... But I got out of there on my own personal volition. I wanted to become a uh, forestry major, and Sewanee had a great program in that, and that was, that was important to me because studies and schooling never had been before, and I finally found something that I thought, you know, I, I, can, I can read these books and understand it and, and want to do that. So, but at that time, too, I had no sense of, needing a spiritual relationship and that led to having indifferent relationships with with people with friends with you know people you came across and another quote is god does his greatest work for us when we are the most confused upset and alone we don't hear him because we get so flustered and we don't take the time to be quiet and alone with him. God becomes the most active when things are in transition. You have to look at all the stories in the Bible where somebody has gone through a difficult time and ask, what would have happened if they had simply given up? And you have to ask yourself, if I think these things are rough as they are, how rough would they be? without God in my life. And then this thing happened. And I was living in Jackson, Mississippi. And I was sailing on the Ross Barnett Reservoir with a friend. And kind of like the story in the Bible, the winds and the waves picked up. And this boat flipped over. It was a small snipe boat. Actually, it didn't flip over. We, kind of a funny story, I guess. The girl had to go to the bathroom, okay? <laughs> so I said, all right, I'll tell you what you do. You jump out, and I'll circle around, and I'll come back and get you. So, of course, we had no life jackets, and, but I thought it would be a pretty easy maneuver, and, uh, but it wasn't. And... Uh, with two sails and this and that, one thing led to another, and she got further away, and so then I jumped in to, um, to help her. And then the boat, instead of sailing around in circles, it heads off in one direction. The, the, the main sheet got caught, and it was gone. So... I told her, I said, look, the closest point of land is right over here. I'm swimming after the boat. So um, we split up. And I swam after the boat, but it was getting further away. And, you know, after being out there about 30 minutes or so of swimming, and the water was cold, things just were not good. And I lost sight of her, and I was... And pretty, you know, I felt pretty bad. And I really didn't think I was going to make it to the boat. And here I am in the middle of this 
huge reservoir outside of the city of Jackson, and I said, I'm just going to tread water. And when I did that, I was standing on a sandbar waist deep in the middle of this lake. And um, which, you know, revived me, and I was able to continue on. And so I felt like that was the hand of God, and I thanked him at that moment in time. And, um, and so these small spaces of solid ground, I mean, that's really what we try to find when we go through life. So going on, came back to Charleston and um, started working with my dad and enjoyed it, but I really felt like I needed to do something else. And one day the switchboard operator who had the headset on and the, all of that, she came up to me, or I was walking by, and she said, Jimmy, we just can't wait for you to become the next Mr. Haygood. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think I want this. So. I um, went into the insurance business through St. Phillips. I'd gotten to know a core group of guys that were 15 years or so older than me. This was during a transition time here, and we actually met uh, every morning praying for the next uh, minister here in the uh, sanctuary up in the choir stalls, and Nick Zervis was one of those guys. And so that's when uh, he recruited me into the insurance business, and I left my dad to go to Nick, who ended up becoming my um, mentor in business, and he taught me how to cook. And so he was a Greek from Augusta, Georgia. Greeks love to cook. People in Augusta, Georgia love barbecue. All those things sort of came together. And, um, and so I just... Uh, had a wonderful experience uh, working with him. Started cooking in these barbecue contests on the side, you know, back in the early 90s, and one thing led to another. As um, you know, I was fortunate enough to bring home some trophies here and there. But anyway, that kind of built up my desire to uh, want to pursue a change and uh, get into the cooking business. So I started a catering business and you know enjoyed it and the first thing i did in learning how to do this for a group of people is we would put our i'd, I'd help some charities around town and put our services up for auction and i saw that you know a party for 100 people were going for like $2,500 or $3,000 or whatever it was and i was like well that's $25 a person so that makes sense if i can do this i can do that so that's where i started the business and it did well and I was tremendously blessed from my own doings okay um, I mean certainly God's hand was in this but it, it was it was me all right and I kind of I, I had my head in the sand uh, in this situation where things were going around that I probably should have you know business wise I, sh I should have been paying attention to and things did you know began to collapse a little bit around me 
So on one of my uh, trips to Memphis, because we cooked in there, we cooked in Memphis for 15 years in the World Championship Barbecue Contest. There was a lady who uh, was a private, like taxi, Miss Queen. And Miss Queen would drive us around, take us to the restaurants at night or whatever it was. And she kind of was right there. And this black lady was, she was a wonderful, wonderful person. She exuded, um, you know, not only a, a positive attitude, but a spirituality about her that was infectious. And uh, we were driving through um, what I call the projects. And I said, Queen, are you going to take us through the projects, you know, to go wherever we were going? She goes, Ain't no projects here. And then uh, she started looking at me like, like I had been looked at before by a housekeeper or, you know, a maid or, you know, just kind of that, what they call that, a stink eye, right? I kind of got that stink eye look from her. And I'd seen it before because of me being the way I was little growing up here in Charleston. And um, she looked at me driving that car, and she goes, Do you know Jesus? Just like that. And she was a little, you know, chuckling just a little bit, but it, it went straight to my heart. Do you know Jesus? And I said, Quinny, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. And so that was a point that... Um, I started searching some more, like, who is Jesus? Who is this person that she's asking me about? And that, you know, we talk about it here at church a lot, right? But oftentimes we're just kind of listening here and there. Um, and so, you know, in life we go through these uh, high and low tides, and when the low tides come, barnacles are exposed on the pilings, right? I call that barnacles on a post. And that's what God sees in all the things that we create and accumulate. We, we see beautiful things. We, we see all the wonderful things that we have done ourselves. But you know what God sees? He sees barnacles. And... Um, and the world sees this as, as success and beauty. But until we bring Christ into our lives and all the things that we do, and all he sees is the barnacles, we can try to scrape them away and maintain and do that on our own. But that just reveals, when you scrape it away, that just reveals the pain and disappointment and it also reveals the truth that has been covered up. And uh, just like in Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and barnacles and mildew and mold destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven. And that, to me, my friends, is the critical point of my life. And it was a moment of truth for me because in 2016, I had 
three different businesses going on at one time, and I, I pruned the tree and got down to the thing that I'm, you know, what they say about the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So that's what I did. And I bet on one racehorse. And that has blossomed. But the thing that is really the, the moment of truth was I got on my knees in my office and I just said, I can't take this anymore. I need your help. And I'm, I'm asking Christ to be my partner in this business. And it has been amazing what has happened since then. So I've just seen all these blessings that have occurred. It was simply, you know, letting go of the things that I was holding so dear to me. Um, so I'm going to read you just a few things that helps finish this thing up. I'm just about through. Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. This is by a guy named Max Lucado. You hillbillies will be my witness. You uneducated and simple folk will be my witnesses. You who once called me crazy, who shouted at me in the boat and doubted me in the upper room, you temperamental parochial netcasters and tax collectors, you will be my witnesses. You will spearhead a movement that will explode like a just-opened fire hydrant out of Jerusalem and spill into the ends of the earth, into the streets of Paris, the districts of Rome, and the ports of Athens, Istanbul, Shanghai, and Buenos Aires. You will be a part of something so mighty, controversial, and head-spinning that two millennia from now, a bunch of middle-aged men, hearing these words, will ask quietly to themselves, does Jesus still do it? Does he still use simple folks like us to change the world? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. So don't let Satan convince you otherwise. He will try. He will tell you that God has an IQ requirement or an entry fee, that he employs only specialists and experts and governments and high-powered personalities. When Satan whispers such lies, dismiss him with this truth. God stampeded the first century with swaybacks, not thoroughbreds. Before Jesus came along, the disciples were loading trucks, coaching soccer, and selling barbecue sandwiches down here in the market. Their collars were blue and their hands were calloused, and there is no evidence that Jesus chose them because they were smarter or nicer than the guy next door. The one thing that they had going for them was a willingness to take a step when Jesus said, follow me. Are you more dingy than a cruise ship, more stand-in than a movie star, more plumber than executive, more blue jeans than blue blood, or want to be? Congratulations, God changes the world with men like you. So what I discovered was a time that has to be spent early in the morning from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. before my wife Anne-Marie gets up and before daughter Catherine gets up, that I've got that time to read and to reflect 
And that daily devotion is the thing that really has changed my life in the last four or five years. And the things that I read and the prayers and just having that time. I used to be one of these guys that would wake up and go to the gym. And that was a sacrifice that I had to make because I know that if either one or the other, if it doesn't happen first thing in the morning, it's not going to. It's not going to happen. So I decided to let the gym thing go. And it's definitely um, changed my life. All right. One last thing. Because Brian's here. We've got to talk about C.S. Lewis, right? <laughs> Matthew seven sixteen says, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Or figs of thistles. So C.S. Lewis says, The terrible thing, the most impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we're trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time be good, we're all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping in spite of this to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce, in the Bible it says wheat, I say rice, since we grow rice down in the country. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no rice. If I want to produce rice, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. So reflecting back on the wandering days, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And one last thing. God made you as you are in order to use you as he planned. So I'm going to close with, play, with a prayer. Lord, I believe you have placed us on this earth for your own divine purpose. Father, open up our eyes to see it. Let us walk in your plans for us. Show us this purpose, O Lord, and let us daily live in it. Just as a stone does not see the ripples it makes when it casts into a pond, we may not see the fruit of our devotion in our lifetime. So do not let us wallow in the illusion of despair, mighty God, for to believe that my life is without purpose is to doubt your wisdom. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jimmy. That was a great encouragement. Uh, 
just a word. If uh, the Lord has put anything on your heart or there's any burden that you're carrying that you would like a brother to pray with you, there will be a prayer minister available in the youth room right down the hall immediately after this. Let me go ahead and close us with a blessing. Please bow your heads. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here.